Psalm 139, calling this sermon the Omnis, O-M-N-I-S. We're not talking hotels here. The Omnis. This is a very significant psalm because it covers three incredible attributes, three of the hugest attributes of Almighty God. He's got a lot of attributes, but these three are just incredible. Uh, Aben Ezra said of Psalm 139, it's the most glorious and excellent psalm in all the book. George Rogers said it is one of the most sublime compositions in all the world. And here's what I have to say about it. Here's a mere shepherd lad, uneducated by today's Western standards of measure for formal education, out in the Judean desert watching sheep, a somewhat boring and routine job. And instead of just playing with the slingshot or his Xbox, he's choosing rather to contemplate conception, blastuli, and the deepest of theological truths. In Psalm 139 are found 16 things that God has done, three outstanding attributes of God, six facts about God's searchings, and seven things the the Bible is called and seven important facts about the Bible. The title of it is to the chief musician. It is a psalm written by King David. I call it the Omni Psalm because it covers the three omni attributes of God, omni meaning all. So the first one is the omniscience, O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-C-E, the omniscience of God, which means the all-knowing of God. So we begin reading in Psalm 139 and verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me. And what this means is you have examined me thoroughly. You have dug through all of the pertinent data. You have mined like you've been mining for precious metals. You have, you have searched every, in every way possible for me. You have examined me. You have searched me. You have dug up everything you can dig up, and you have known or discerned all about me. You, you know everything there is to know about me. There is no me after known in the original. The me is in italics. So it's just the idea that he knows. He absolutely knows everything because he knows not just me, but he knows all. He knows everything there is to know. He says, you know my down-sitting and my uprising. In other words, he is aware of our most insignificant actions. If, if I were to ask you to make a list of the most significant things you did last week, I doubt anybody would say, well, I walked into the kitchen and sat down. You might talk about your breakfast that you made if it was a good one. You might talk about some accomplishments at work that you wouldn't talk about. Well, I sat down and I got up. And yet God is absolutely aware of every single time we sit down, every time we get up. He is aware of the most insignificant actions. You understand my thoughts afar off. By the way, every thought. How many thoughts do we have a day? I found an app that's on the phone I didn't realize I had that tells you how many steps you take in a day. So I got to looking at that, and that's kind of pitiful. But... uh, (laughs) How many thoughts do we have? Wouldn't it be great to have an app that would tell us you had 10,000 thoughts or 100,000 thoughts or maybe, guys, maybe we had 10 thoughts? Who knows, you know? Uh, Every thought, he knows about them. Uh, He knows about them afar off, um, even before we think them. Uh, 6,000 years ago, he knew you would be here today. 6,000 years ago, he knew you would be carrying the burdens you carry today. 6,000 years ago... He knew what the outcome of that burden would be. You're still wondering what it's going to be. He already knows. He is absolutely omniscient. He is all-knowing. The thought here also means that which is dearest to me. He knows the things that are the dearest to us, the most important things to us. You compass my path. 
This is the idea of God having surveyed and checked out our path ahead of our travels. It's like sending out a team, a recon team, and, and they're mapping out the terrain, and they're going over what obstacles might be ahead, where the enemy might be, and different things, and, and, and giving a safe path uh, for, for you to be able to travel. He has, he's come past our path. He's checked out our path ahead of us. He knows our lying down, and he's acquainted with all our ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together, whether spoken or unspoken. There's not a word in our tongue that he doesn't know about. You've beset me behind and before. Really, you're all around me. You're above me. You're below me. You're to my left. You're to my right. You're in front. You're in back. And if you're a born-again child of God, he's within you. He's everywhere. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, secret, incomprehensible for me. It is high, inaccessible. I can't understand it all. I cannot attain unto it. Jehovah God is the all-knowing God. No pretender God really knows much about this. I was reading this morning, I think in Habakkuk, I think in Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, and it talks about how, how futile it would be to go to a god of metal or a god of wood and ask for anything. And yet people carve out gods uh, and overlay them with gold and overlay them with silver, or maybe make them out of totally some precious metal. And, and they pray to them and they try to get them to, to do things for them. And they have ears maybe formed in fashion, but they can't hear. They have lips, but they can't speak. They have legs and feet, perhaps, but they cannot walk. There is only one God, one true God, one all-knowing God. No pretender God knows anything about us at all. By the way, someone shared with me this week, and they were absolutely accurate. The devil doesn't know all about you. The devil's not omniscient. Aren't you glad? He doesn't know everything. He can pretty well figure out what our reactions are going to be because he's so uh, he's observed humanity. He's observed you and me enough, and maybe he can predict with some certainty, but he's not all-knowing. Only God, Jehovah God, is all-knowing. Most gods know nothing because they're not real. They're just wood or metal. Jehovah God knows us, understands us, and chooses to be closely involved with us. Isn't that amazing? Knowing all about, you know what, I'm, I'll, I'll guarantee you, if you knew all about me, some of you would say, I'm going to stay clear of that guy. I'm going to hang around with him. And there's a lot of people, we, we, we would kind of give second thoughts, do I really want to be associated with this person? But Jehovah God knows all about us, and he understands us, and he chooses to be closely involved on an intimate level with us. He doesn't search us in order to learn something about us, because he already knows. He, he, the psalmist means he, he knows us as if he had examined us completely, thoroughly, and even he knows the secret corners of our lives. And I will guarantee you, he knows things about you and your character that you don't know, things about me and my character that I don't know. His knowledge of us has always existed because, you see, God is before there was time. God existed before there was time. So when he created the world's, whenever it was, 6,000, 10,000 years ago, I'm not one of those, say, you know, 100 million years ago. If, if, it, if he created, whenever he created, he had already been, he always had been, he always will be, and he knew our thoughts then. He knew our, the knowledge of us existed then. There was never a time when we were unknown to God. There'll never be a time when we're beyond his observation. I don't care how dark the night is. I don't care how remote the place is. He knows exactly where you are. I don't care how dark spiritually the tunnel is that you're going through. He knows exactly what's going on with you. 
He even knows our most casual acts when we sit down, when we stand up, when we take steps. He knows when we lie down at night. My running and my resting are both known by him. We're compassed by him like we are by the atmosphere and by air itself. We may leave the path that he has for us, but he knows our way. We may sleep and are unconscious, but he is totally conscious. He knows our ways open or secret. He knows every word, even the unformed ones, yet to be spoken like seeds in the soil, waiting to sprout and germinate and grow. By the way, it is much better to refrain from speaking at times. Many are the times we repent of what we said, seldom of what we did not say. (laughs) It's a lot easier to not say things and not get into the trouble that we get into than to say them and have to take them back. He's both before us, behind us, and recording our sins or blotting out our sins, one or the other, depending on your relation to him. You cannot outrun him. You cannot retreat from him. His hand is upon you, steadying you. He put his hand upon It's like someone is kind of shaky or a little unsure, and you put your hand on their shoulder to kind of steady them and let them know that he is close at hand, guiding us as if we were blind and unsighted, and he was the guide for us. God is very near all the time, knowing all about us. Cannot possibly grasp or appreciate his complete knowledge of me. This truth is beyond my ability to comprehend. In fact, God is incapable, listen to this, he is incapable of inaccurate information. It is not within his, you say, God can do anything. No, God can't be wrong. God cannot sin. And so, uh, so, He cannot have inaccurate knowledge of anyone or anything, whether it be me or a maggot or a huge planet. He knows everything perfectly and all at once. No wonder David said this kind of knowledge is too wonderful to even grasp or to ponder. So whatever burden you're carrying today, whatever it is you're going through today, God knows all about it because he is omniscient. God never has to say something like, well, I'll be. Well, like my uncle used to say, well, I'll swan. I'm not sure what that means, but it meant he was surprised about something. Well, that's why God's never surprised about anything. That's the omniscience of God. Secondly, is the omnipresence of God. Omni, all, presence, present God. He is everywhere all the time. So here you're going to do this. You're going to run away from God? Where are you going to go? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free from your presence? In other words, your essence in the Hebrew. If I ascend into the highest heaven, the highest altitudes of our atmosphere, not the abode of God, but if we, if we go up into to Mount Everest at 22,000 feet or whatever it is, if we go there to try to get away from God, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, the place of the dead, the re- those regions, the depths, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, which is a metaphor for the sunbeams, both swift and speedy, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, if I could move that fast in any and all directions and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Even the night shall be light about me. Men love darkness rather than light because why? Their deeds are evil. That's what the Bible says. You light up an area, there's less crime generally, 
because the lightness dispels the evil and the darkness and so on. Uh, but, but think about this. Light and dark are the same to God. People who would do things in darkness under cover of darkness, they would not do in full daylight. They need to understand God knows. God knows what they're doing because darkness and light are the same to him. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to you. For you have possessed my reins. You, you are the one who holds my, uh, the, the feeling and desire and my longings. You have covered me or woven me or knit me or embroidered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, David said, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance yet being imperfect or incomplete. And in your book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. What artist, what sculptor can work in the darkness? I don't know. I'm, I'm certain there are blind sculptors. I'm certain there are probably blind artists. I, I don't, I've not heard of any, but probably there are. But I want to ask you, what artist, what sculptor can work with, with absolute darkness who cannot see anything that they're doing? And I know of only one for sure, and that's God. Light or dark, it makes no difference. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. The blessings of God, you know, when, when we have trouble and problems, they, they, they are just bigger than life, aren't they? They just pop up and they're like amazing. It's just terrible. Uh, it, we focus on that. And yet how many thousands of blessings have every one of us in this building experienced already today? We took in a breath. In that atmosphere is oxygen. Oxygen is brought into the lungs and then because of the osmosis and capillary action and, and the amazing creation that God made in creating our lungs, we're able to take the carbon dioxide and other waste products out of our blood and replace it with oxygen, life-giving, growth-giving oxygen. And then the oxygen is rushed to the various parts of our anatomy through the blood vessels, the, the arteries, and then the, the capillaries and returned again by the veins and all going through the pulmonary sac. I mean, all of that. God, you're taking a breath. You don't think about all that, but how many thousands, tens of thousands of things had to happen right for that to work, just one breath? You were able to open your eyes this morning and see the miracle of eyesight. I think probably to be unsighted would be one of the worst physical handicaps that I could imagine, I think. But we're able to see, we're able to speak, we're able to taste, we're able to eat, we're able, we have food to eat, we have a place to live, we have transportation, we have people who love us and care for us, we have a church here to encourage us. God allowed you to wake up to another morning. How many tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, I don't know, of blessings God has already given to us today. Dark or light, it makes no difference. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. A daily blessing. And one day is coming a resurrection for all of us. 
Jehovah God is not only all-knowing, he's all-present. He's everywhere at once. Where can you go to run away from God? You remember in the old book of Revelation, it talks about people would call for the rocks to fall upon them and to cover them, hide them from God. If they, if they get underneath the rocks, God is still going to be there also. Where are you going to go to get away from God? Nowhere. We may have viewed, uh, evade human beings, but we cannot evade God Almighty. Not that we should want to get away from him. David's pointing out there's no one place you can avoid the presence of God. He echoes the words in verse 7. He's not a pantheist. He's not saying that God is in everything. God is in that lantern there. God is in that plant. God is in that fan. God is in the wood in the stage. He's not saying, he's not a pantheist. He said that God is everywhere though. He's not limited by a physical body. He's not limited to one place. God is absolutely everywhere. Where is God? would be easier to answer where God is not. He's not anywhere. He's not nowhere. I don't know how to say it. He's everywhere. <clears throat> He's in the highest heaven. He's in the lowest hell. His purpose is different in either realm, but his presence is certainly there. He is in glory and he's in darkness. You can't fly away from him. You can't sail away from him. Light and dark are the same to him. Darkness and light, in this agree, great God, they're both alike to thee. Thine hand can pierce thy foes as soon through midnight shades as blazing noon. You read through the Old Testament and you see all the battles that were fought, Israel fought, and how God intervened with earthquakes and thunderings and lightnings and hailstones and fire and all the things that God did. He possessed my reins. Thou art the owner of my innermost parts and passions, my secret self. Again, in the, in the vernacular of, of this Eastern culture, it wasn't the heart that we talk about so much. It was the, the bowels and the kidneys and, and all of that. That's just in their metaphor, in their thinking of things, that's what it was. And he possesses every bit of that, our desires, our longings. He doesn't just know about us. He absolutely owns us. He knows about our secret parts Before I could know him, he knew me. And I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Study physiology, study anatomy, and see that life is an amazing thing, but delicate. I read this week, I don't know the details, I just saw in passing a mother who was able to hold her little baby out of the water long enough to get the baby saved, but she drowned in the process because she was cut off from a supply of oxygen. Life is amazing, yet so fragile. An instant on the highway is all it takes. You ever think about your heart, how many times it beats? I, I got some program one time. It said you can calculate how many times your heart is beat, and I figured in my age and everything. I almost had a heart attack doing that. <laughs> they, shouldn't, they shouldn't put those things on Facebook or whatever. So I actually remember one night lying there thinking, come on, beat, heart, beat, beat. You don't have to think about it. It's part of the autonomic nervous system. It just does. You don't have to think about breathing. Take a breath. Let it out. Take a breath. Let it out. You just do it. What an amazing thing life, and yet so fragile. And we're so casual with the fact that it's fragile. Our life contains a thousand strings and dies if one be gone. 
Strange that a harp of a thousand strings should keep in tune so long. <laughs> the author of Psalm 139 was no atheist. He's no agnostic. He was a believer. As amazing as our first birth, the physical birth, even so maybe more amazing is our second birth in that God takes that which is ruined, that God takes that which is, is sinful and dirty and filthy and vile and wrecked, and he, and he refashions and reforms it because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his son, and he makes us of, of, of a dead creature a living creature that never, ever will die again. The physical party puts muscle upon bone and blood and vessels within flesh and knits us in a secret place and broiders in our mother's womb with great skill, putting everything in the right place, doing it all. But in, in the second birth, he takes that which is bound for hell and turns it around and not only forgives our sins, but washes us clean as if we had no sin, as if Jim Bates had never spoken a word in anger or a vile word, as if I had never seen something I shouldn't see, as if I had never thought some thought that was not glorifying to God. He purges all of that, cleanses all of that through the shed blood of his son. So incredibly powerful is that God saw us when there was nothing to see. In my book, he says, all my members were written. We were on his mind. He knew us. He was our architect. He was our designer. He was our creator. And he wants to be your savior. We are his conception in every minutest detail. He wrote about us when there was nothing yet done. You're, you're, you're in Psalm 139. He wrote about you in Psalm 139 when you were not even close to being born. The psalmist was encouraged about you. It might be kind of scary. Man, he knows all about me. He knows all my thoughts. That's kind of scary. Oh, my goodness. I don't want him knowing all my thoughts. The psalmist was encouraged. Thank you, God, that you know all about me and you choose to love me anyhow. The omniscience, the omnipresence, and last of all, the omnipotence of God, verses 19 through 22. This is pretty serious, pretty heavy right here. Surely you will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate you. That gave me pause this week. Do not I hate them. O Lord, that hate you, and am I not grieved with those that rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Well, let's start first of all in verse 19. Jehovah God is not only an all-knowing God and an all-present God, but he's an all-powerful God. Crimes against him will not go unpunished. He is the absolute power. In a society in the United States of America today that does not believe in absolute truth, I want you to know God is absolute power. By the way, saying you don't believe in absolute truth isn't absolute. Did you know that? Just want you to know that. 
Crimes against him will not go unpunished. God is grieved with evil, and he will exact justice one day. David could not bear men who shed innocent blood. Remember the Amalekite who, who finished off Saul? Remember when Saul was in battle with his sons, and, and he was wounded, maybe mortally wounded, and yet he was lying there with some life still in him, and people were passing by, and he was calling out for somebody, and Amalekite came by. He said, I want you to take my sword. I want you to finish me off. I don't want to fall into the hands of the Philistines. And the Amalekite, after Saul said to do it, took his sword and dispatched him and took some of the, uh, the things that were, were with him to show and to prove to David. I'm sure he thought he was going to get this grand reward. Hey, King David, long live the king. I, I have brought you uh, some proof that I took the life of your enemy Saul. David was not impressed with that. David had him slain because he... he Finished off Saul. The same thing for the one who killed Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. He slew him. He then he says, he hates those who hate God. To hate those who hate us would be sinful. To hate those who hate God and do violence to God's good is an obligation. Now I'm going to tell you the honest truth. Okay, confession. Your preacher confessing. I tried to figure out in all the commentaries I could that this didn't really mean what it says. Because it didn't seem right that we're to hate. And the closest I could come is this, that we're to hate the the evil that men do. We're to hate the evil that men do. And anyone who raises himself up against God Almighty is is an enemy of God. And by comparison, to, to the same degree that we love God, and we're supposed to love him with all of our what? Heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the way we're supposed to love God, the first and greatest commandment. We are to hate evil and those who perpetrate evil. Go home, do some research, prove me wrong, let me know about it. I will retract it. That's what it says. David says, I will make my enemy the one who's the enemy of God. David takes it personal. The psalmist said it this way, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And so he leaves it to us to choose who our God is going to be. Whether it's this omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God who who always, always has everything under control. When it doesn't seem like it's under control, it still is by him. So you have to choose. Are you going to choose that God? Or are you going to choose something else, someone else? As for me, I choose the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God who formed me and fashioned me and knit me together just like little Genesis back there in the arms of her daddy is before she was born was knit together by Almighty God. So he did every single one of us. We owe him everything. And I hope your choice is that very same God. Could you bow your heads, please? Do you know that God is omniscient? He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you have. He knows what you're thinking right now. Do you know that he's omnipresent? He's here. He's halfway around the world. He's with some of your family over in Afghanistan and Iraq and wherever else they might be around the world, 
all at the same time. He's not limited by geography. He's not even limited to this earth, folks. Do you know he's all-powerful? Do you know he can take a sinful, hell-bound man or woman and cleanse them and turn them around and head them to heaven? Do you know that? That's the kind of God we serve. He is all-powerful. They couldn't keep him in the grave. They killed him because he laid his life down. After three days, he took it up again. And he's alive forevermore. Do you trust that God? How many would say with every head bowed, every eye closed, preacher, I'm trusting. I'm trusting in that God. I'm trusting in Jehovah God, his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. I'm trusting in that God. Would you raise your hands up real high? Raising up real high. God bless you. Thank you. Put your hands down. How many people would say, preacher, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I, I would like to trust a God like that. I would like to know that there's a God in absolute control all the time who knows everything there is to know, is everywhere all the time. I would like to know that, but i got to be honest with you, preacher, I don't know for sure that that God is my God who I believe and trust right now. I'm, not, I'm having troubles trusting him right now. Would you raise your hand up? Hold it up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just hold it up real high for just a moment. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful and thankful for the fact that you are everywhere at once, that you're here. Father, you know the hearts of every single person here, every man, every woman, every child. Father, you can do whatever needs to be done. You have no limitations to your power. And so, Father, for those who are hurting right now, for those who are going through tough times, and I know a few that are, I pray, God, that you would, with your omnipotent arm, lift those heavy burdens, that you would catch their tears as they weep, upon your shoulder, that you would give them comfort and encouragement as only you can, as only the almighty, all-powerful, all-present God can do. Lord, may we worship you, praise you, and thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? And as we stand... Maybe you'd want to come and join the church. Maybe you'd like to come and rededicate your life. Maybe you want to come and receive this God as your own personal Savior today. Maybe you just need to come and have some prayer. We'll have some counselors down here. Fitz is down here. Pat's down here. Rachel's down here. I'll be down here. We're going to sing a verse. Not going to sing ten verses. We're going to sing one verse. So as we sing this one verse, if God's leading you, if there are people between you and the aisle, excuse yourself. They'll be glad to move. Come on down here and do what God wants you to do today as we sing this one verse of invitation for you.